You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name's Troy Singer. He is Bart Kaler. And our topic that we're going to go into is using your most valuable assets, i.e. your students, to enhance your marketing. And we're talking to George Olson, who he is very well experienced in peer-to-peer platforms. And he even has a platform called the Ambassadors Platform that he kind of explains to us how colleges and universities can really lean into but still keep control of a peer-to-peer program that will connect with prospective students in a way to attract them more to your university. George does a great job of articulating kind of the uh, the, the necessity of peer-to-peer. I think he does a good job, too, of really kind of showing some of the opportunities that are there. I mean, not, not a lot of schools are really leaning into this, even though we've talked to Zemi and Unibuddy and, and now the Ambassador Platform. There's still only 10% of schools internationally and even less in the United States that are really starting to utilize these peer-to-peer platforms. And a couple of things that I really liked is he talked about how influential these pr- platforms are, these peer-to-peer opportunities are, especially with some of the, the, the groups that need it the most, the first-gen students, the minority students, a lot of the students that we often want to attract but have a difficult time attracting, it's because of, of not really having that connection. And this is a great opportunity. So George does a great job of, uh, of un- unpacking it. He's very articulate and, and very organized in the way that he presents his arguments. And I've really enjoyed this show. So true, Bart. So let's listen to our conversation with George Olinson. George, before we get into the peer-to-peer and ambassador conversation, would really love for you to share with us something that you've learned that you would deem interesting and that would be worthy to share with our listeners. Thanks, Troy. Well, as a long-time listener, I've been thinking about this question all week. And the best I could come up with was uh, this weekend, I finished reading one book and started reading another. And the book that I finished was called The End of the World is Only the Beginning by Peter Zeehan. And uh, as you can imagine from the title, it's kind of a depressing book, all about the end of globalization. And I was ready to go and live in the woods <laughs> underground with a rifle. And, uh, and then the second book, thankfully, was a book called uh, Factfulness by uh, Hans Rosling. And the book starts with these 15 questions, which are all about, essentially, is the world getting better? Is uh, our birth rates uh, improving? Our, Infant, is infant mortality um, reducing, uh, extreme poverty reducing. And I, I scored pretty badly on this test. And interestingly, most people scored very badly on this test because we often see news of things in the world getting so much worse. But actually the truth, which was very relieving after the previous book, is that the world is getting a lot better pretty quickly and we should all celebrate that. Um, so that was that was both a relief and also I think interesting It made me reflect on how we communicate internally at the ambassador platform, because I think we're definitely guilty of also focusing on things that have gone extremely well or 
uh, problems, things that have gone badly, and we overlook the, the steady improvements that actually compound to make all the difference, just like, you know, improving our, our CRM data so that our email deliverability improves. You don't celebrate that often, but it's just so important. Thank you, George. And as you go into the description of the ambassador program, please give a brief introduction to yourself and your role at the ambassador platform. I've spent the last six years building this company called the ambassador platform. We're in the, the peer to peer space for higher education and my role as co-founder and CEO. I got really interested in this topic when I was applying to university myself which was a long time ago now, as Troy and Bart can see with my receding hairline. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it was all about, for me, wanting to talk to real students when I was applying. I knew I wanted to study engineering, but I didn't know what that was going to be like. And for your, for your US listeners in the UK, you essentially have to choose your major when you're applying to university. Um, so. I just wanted to talk to real students. I was able to do that through my older sister mostly, and also, of course, YouTube videos and social media. And then um, when I got to university, I had this really um, profound and uh, interesting conversation that had a real effect on me. And it was with this guy called Rob Hollands, who was on my course. And he just turned to me in the lunch queue and said, aren't we incredibly lucky to be here? I just feel so lucky to be here. And I felt lucky, but I didn't feel that lucky. Uh, so <laughs> so um, we, had a, we had a really long conversation over lunch. And, and essentially, long story short, this guy uh, went to a school where nobody went on to Durham University, where I studied. Um, he wasn't able to visit ahead of, ahead of um, arriving on campus. And he just had none of the access to real students that I had had through my personal connections that was so profoundly useful for me. So I just got super interested in, interested in thinking about how do we solve this problem and make sure that everyone has access to learn directly from real students when they're applying to university. And I've been on that path ever since. Thank you. And a lot of our listeners will be familiar with peer-to-peer, -peer, but if you can give us a deeper dive into the ambassador platform and why peer-to-peer -peer platforms like this are important. Yeah, so I, I think peer-to-peer has become a much more commonly used word in the industry over the last five, maybe 10 years. And to me, I think it's just very simply about getting your student community representing you as, as your university in a formalized way through your marketing and communications strategy. So it's, it's not a new concept. If you, if you go back 10 years, 50 years, probably, probably several hundred years, you know, universities have got their students involved in doing campus tours, maybe students visiting their old schools and things like this. But what's really interesting, I think, and why peer-to-peer has become a, a topical word in the last five, 10 years, is that the channels available for universities to market through has just exploded. You know, nowadays, our website is the most important recruitment asset that we have. Social media, an incredibly important, well, several several important channels within the social media category email of course and so then the question comes how do you get your students representing you through those channels and it turns out it's extremely difficult you know how do you make sure that those communications are safe because you're dealing with minors under 18s how do you make sure that ambassadors are incentivized to do that work 
because it's very hard to track their activity, right? And how do you maintain oversight and control? Because you don't want to read every single email. It's hard for you to make sure that you're checking every single content post. So with the channels that are now so commonly used by universities, they're not built for peer-to-peer. -peer. They're not built for student collaboration. And this is where peer-to-peer -peer platforms like the Ambassador platform come in to solve those challenges and enable universities to collaborate with their ambassadors at scale, safely and simply to make sure that the students who are an incredibly important asset the university has take front and center stage when it comes to the communications and marketing strategy. And I think one of the misconceptions that I come across a lot in the industry is that people think they're doing peer-to-peer -peer if they have a simple text-based chat with their ambassadors on their website. And that's great. It is a, an element of peer-to-peer, -peer, but you are not doing peer-to-peer -peer just by having that simple text channel on your website. That is just one channel within the peer-to-peer -peer category that you're doing, and it's fantastic that you're doing it. So please continue, but um, it's not the whole picture. So I, I, I like to think of peer-to-peer um, -peer solutions and platforms like the Ambassador platform as being a sort of a capability investment, a sort of infrastructure investment, if you will. You're investing in the ability to bring your students into your marketing channels. Um, and it's much more, like, um, much more like investing in a CRM system. You know, CRM doesn't, it's not a channel in its own right, but it enables you to run really effective marketing and maintain good contact records. And you don't, you don't think of it in the same way as an individual channel, in the same way that I don't think peer-to-peer -peer should be compared against other channels because it's, it's fundamentally slightly, something slightly different. I like that, George, and I, I think that as um, you know, as a Generation Xer, and I know that Troy is as well, and a lot of the listeners are, especially a lot of the leadership now is, is kind of moving into Generation X, and some of the boomers are starting to retire. And I think that sometimes uh, we think, well, we've got the call center, you know, we've got students who are making calls in the evenings, we've got, you know, we think that we're doing a true peer-to-peer relationship but but I don't believe that's true and and especially when I see the explosion of of um, platforms like ambassador platforms like you know Zemi app um, you know things like uh, Unibuddy things like that all of these are peer to peer type of things different models different ways of doing it and and they're all I think very important I mean you could get all three and and do a great job with your school but I think one of the things that we fail to to remember sometimes is how how deep Generation Z, especially, and, and what's coming with Generation Alpha, how much they value that personal relationship and that, and that sense of, of we as opposed to, to me. I think that, you know, Xers and boomers, even, you know, millennials to a degree kind of still have a little bit of that me, but I think Generation Z from what I've read and what I've observed is a lot more about the we and platforms like Ambassador can really uh, help with that. So maybe kind of explain that a little bit about you know, your understanding of Generation Z and how they're responding to this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is just, you know, hundreds and thousands of studies out there which look at the difference in behavior between Generation Z and uh, Alpha on the way compared to previous generations. And it's all in the trend of much more use of social media, much more use of uh, influencers and, and looking to, for peer validation. Um, 
in in the education industry it's no difference and that's that's no surprise and of course to be successful in this market or in any market frankly you need to understand where your audience is and how they're wanting to engage with you and absorb content so critical that we see these trends and understand them um, we recently did a survey and this is just you know one of many surveys you can look at but uh, just talk through some of the results because they're quite profound um, so one of the questions we asked our, our audience and we got over 800 replies to the survey from prospective students all over the world was what sources of information did you find most useful when researching your study options? And it won't surprise you to know that the, the first answer was the website, but a very close second was talking with real students. I mean, really close second. Uh, for some, some categories of students, it was actually the first. Um, and then talking with friends and family and cause comparison websites and, and other channels, social media, we're actually quite distant third, fourth, fifth. And if you added together talking with friends and families and course comparison websites, it still didn't reach the amount of support the talking with real students got. So it, it's really interesting. I, I don't know, throw the, throwing the question back to you, Troy and, and Bart, what do you think? Do you think that that is surprising as a result, talking with uh, real students being so high on that list? I'll jump in. I, I don't, in some ways it's surprising, uh, in some ways, it's not. I mean, every marketer that's listening will say that, you know, the holy grail of, of, of university marketing is getting them on campus. I mean, I've heard everybody say, boy, if we can get them on campus, you know, we can get them, we can get them here. Well, they're, they're not on campus because all of a sudden they're just blown away by your buildings or blown away by something that they see. It's because they're building the relationships. Yeah. It's because they're talking to students. They're talking to individuals. They're, they're talking to professors and faculty uh, during that day. They're, they're getting that experience of what it's going to be like. And, and so when I hear a study that says that, you know, hey, website was a big influencer. Mom was a big influencer. Yeah, I get that. But when it comes down to, you know, that decision, the feeling of, of, of the emotions that are created, um, those relationships are going to make a big difference. And I, and I, and I, and so in some ways I, I'm not surprised, but in some ways I am. And I think that just kind of underscores the importance of, of this type of tool. And, and I guess I kind of take that into the next question I wanted to ask you a little bit, George, was, on that, how how are we going to measure that value? I mean, certainly your surveys are going into that, and you're and you're able to show that. But a lot of schools are like, okay, surveys are great, yeah, I get that. But at the end of the day, I need people in my seats. I need people in my beds. How am I going to measure the success of of a of a peer to peer program? I mean, what do you what do you tell your your clients? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and I'll come on to that. But I ju I just wanted to finish one additional point on the on the previous uh, question that that uh, Troy asked. Something that staggers me, because you know, from your answer there, Bart, it sounds like you know, it's, it's not surprising. In some ways it is, but in, in, in many ways it's not surprising. One thing that really shocks me is um, you had Kyle Campbell talking on this podcast a month or two ago, and he, one of the, the numbers he referenced was $2.5 billion uh, worth of investment in search advertising. And I don't know how many hundreds of millions, maybe billions are spent on websites. One of the points I want to make here is that there is an incredibly low investment when it comes to peer-to-peer uh, -peer solutions and actually the uh, ways in which universities are, are trying to get their students available for these peer-to-peer -peer interactions. And I think campus visits are a phenomenal example, but they're, they're one of the kind of traditional methods 
there is so much opportunity in the space of peer-to-peer -peer interactions through these new marketing channels that's totally untapped at the moment. And I, I really think that it's one of the most incredibly exciting opportunities available to universities at the moment to figure out how to unlock the value of their current students across these these exciting channels. But anyway, coming on to your, your question, Bart, about how do you, how should you uh, look to um, measure the impact of peer-to-peer -peer interactions? I see this question come up the whole time from, from universities I speak to, and I think it's a, it's a really good question because it's often complex and, and misunderstood, I think, or at least people get confused as to exactly what they're measuring. So if you take my definition of peer-to-peer, -peer, which is much more about it being a capability of bringing current students into your different campaigns and deploying them in your different channels, then it's really hard to measure directly. But a better question, I believe, is how are my peer-to-peer -peer campaigns performing? So you're not trying to measure peer-to-peer -peer directly, but you're measuring the campaigns that you're running, which include your student ambassadors. Um, and most people already know, of course, how to measure campaigns, uh, performance, you know, email campaigns, landing page performance, social posts. So you can compare, when we do an email campaign, which includes uh, an aspect of peer-to-peer, -peer, like the call to action is to chat with our current students, or it's a social post which has been created by one of our ambassadors, student ambassadors, rather than something that was being created by um, you know, a, a, a content creation person or maybe a, uh, an outsourced agency, how do, those, how do those types of content perform relative to one another? And that will give you a good sense of how peer-to-peer is performing as a whole within your organization. And you know, there are lots of case studies on our website about fantastic results that our, our customers have achieved. You know, 4X offer acceptance rates, probably the standout one for me, but it's really not about us. And so if somebody asks like, what results are we gonna get from using the Ambassador platform? Yeah, I can't tell you because it's really about how effective is your campaign and how great are your student ambassadors? That's what's gonna determine your outcomes. Um, you know, it's, it's very much similar if you, I was talking earlier about how Investing in a peer-to-peer -peer solution is like investing in your CRM. You're investing in your, your capability and your infrastructure. You don't measure the effectiveness of your CRM from an individual uh, right. email campaign, do you? Speaking of that, can you give us a description on how the market is for peer-to-peer -peer currently? Huge amount of talk going on about peer-to-peer -peer and a huge amount of work and effort going into peer-to-peer -peer solutions. As I was saying, you know, you, you have these challenges that exist when you're trying to use student ambassadors on social media or email or your website and you don't have a peer-to-peer -peer solution. What's really interesting is that globally, I think around 10% or less than 10% of universities have yet uh, have actually invested in a peer-to-peer -peer platform, a peer-to-peer -peer solution to take those challenges away or at least make them significantly easier to deal with. Um, however, that 10% is a global figure. What you actually see is big, big discrepancies between individual countries. So if you look at Australia and New Zealand, who are probably the world leader in adopting peer-to-peer -peer platforms, you know, we're working with over 65% of Australian and New Zealand universities. The UK is doing really well in terms of adoption too, and Canada is catching up extremely quickly. Uh, in the US, it's probably more around 5-10% adoption. So 
really, really huge swings. And I think, I think the key reasons for that are, you know, obviously in, in smaller markets, there's a, a lot of networking goes on, good ideas are contagious and things get through the market very quickly. But I think there's also an element to the rate of international student recruitment, because a lot of peer-to-peer -peer usage currently in the market is focused on international student recruitment. And if you look at a market like Australia, 35% of students in Australia are international compared to the US being more like 5%. So that possibly has something to do with the adoption rate as well in those markets. However, you know, international student recruitment's becoming more of a thing in the US at the moment. And actually, I would re really want to make clear that peer-to-peer -peer is certainly not exclusively an international student recruitment activity or uh, domain. Um, domestic students require and demand peer-to-peer uh, -peer just as highly. We see that in our, in our data. And in fact, um, domestic students have, we, we, we have a heat score, automated heat score for every prospective student that uses the platform. And domestic students have a higher heat score than international students, showing that they're going into deeper conversations. They're generally more positive about <clears throat> those conversations and, and it's a sort of rough measure of the value as well that they're getting from, from the platform. So a lot of evidence that domestic student use cases are, are, are very effective as well. And one area that I would love to see peer-to-peer -peer used more is in DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. We actually started, uh, the, the first name of the company was the Access Platform, and the first three years of our, our work was totally in the DEI space. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and the reason for that is that, you know, going back to the example I gave at the beginning of, of my conversation with Rob Hollands that started this adventure, it's, it's really true that representation in, um, in groups, different groups, no matter how you want to segment that, isn't equal, isn't consistent. So if you're relying on word of mouth, as I did when I was applying to university, to give access to all these different groups for student peer-to-peer -peer conversations, it's just not going to be available to everybody in the same way. And I was, I was talking with um, the domestic recruitment team at the University of Oxford the other day, and ahead of the meeting, I just looked up some publicly available figures about the proportion of students that went to Oxford who were from private schools, grammar schools, and state schools, which in the US, state schools are equivalent to, to public schools. And um, then I looked up the, the rate of attendance in the whole of the country, against those three, universe, uh, those three school groups. And what I could show University of Oxford was that for certain groups like grammar schools, they had a, a 12 times higher representation amongst that school, type of school group compared to, to state schools, public schools um, here in the US. So what that means is if you, if you go to a grammar school, you're 12 times more likely to know somebody that studies at University of Oxford. These, these numbers are just, you know, what I've calculated, they might not be exactly right, but they're roughly right. And so word of mouth as a channel is really benefiting students who go to grammar schools compared to state schools. And that sort of encourages the, the problem because it's easier for people in grammar schools to get access to the information they need to help them have the confidence to apply. And so the opportunity with peer-to-peer -peer from a diversity equity and inclusion angle is to be able to purposefully choose your representation and make sure that all groups, no matter how underrepresented they might be within your university, 
can get access to those really important peer-to-peer conversations. I love that. And I, and I think it kind of plays out, and I'm just going to kind of unpack that for our audience, because here in the U.S., I know a lot of people are really familiar with the fact that most students stay, stay within about a one or two hour radius of home to go to school. I mean, that's, you know, we're a very, uh, you know, car focused, uh, you know, nation and, and, you know, people drive and and we're a big nation. And so they're going to typically go to school within an hour or two hours from home. That's been kind of what's been shown the last couple of years. And depending on what kind of school you go to, you know, to your point, George, you know, if you go to a small private school, high school, you're going to know a lot of people and where they went. And you're going to have those natural peer-to-peer relationships. And, and a lot of times in the grammar schools or the private schools, the, the, the college attendance rate is much higher. And there's also much a much lower rate of first-generation students in those schools. And so it makes sense because those are the ones that have a little bit more access and ability to higher education. To your point, though, I think it's really important is the fact that there's going to be a lot of first-generation students that are moving on to college that don't have that network of people that they know that were a year or two ahead of them in high school that, you know, are at college now that they would naturally be, you know, DMing on Instagram or or texting about that. And so I think that that's what really starts to really make these these programs so attractive, these peer-to-peer networks and, and schools that schools can kind of manage and work on. It gives them so much more credence because, I think that those particular students who don't have that access, whether it's a DEI issue, whether it's a first-gen issue, whether it's an access issue, that's going to just provide so much more capability for them to tap into finding those resources of, of peers that they can that they can trust and build the relationships. So I'm guessing that's a big part of, of what you're talking about there with what you've been you know illustrating with, with what you found at Oxford. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And then understanding that different types of prospective students want to engage in different ways as well. So we see pretty big differences between uh, the ways that undergraduates like to engage with um, through peer-to-peer options, different different ways you can engage with through peer-to-peer, different channels, um, compared to postgraduates. So, you know, one example is postgraduates um, in, a, in a survey that we did, we, we, we found that the second most popular channel for engaging with peers was through phone calls uh, for mm-hmm. postgraduates but for undergraduates it was uh the the sixth most popular channel so if you're, right. if you're using that channel you've really got to understand who you're who you're targeting and um yeah just just getting under the the nuance there i think that's so important because i think that so many times uh Really understanding those audiences, you know, whether it's traditional undergrad and understanding first gen versus, you know, students of, uh, you know, students of color versus other minorities, or if it's post traditional or, or, you know, non-traditional, we've really got to do those personas. And I think yeah. that's a really good point that you bring up, George. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, the, the overall trend is that all students do want to engage with, with, uh, with current students, uh, all throughout the funnel. Um, but you know, not only is it about the, the, the different groups of students, but also about the channels you use at different points in the funnel. And I think that's pretty intuitive, right? More content, one-to-many uh, channels towards the top of the funnel, um, and then linking down to more more one-to-one specific, uh, exo- uh, specific conversations towards the bottom. And I think like stripping it right back, um, we had a, an event in New Zealand two weeks ago, and the student ambassador stood up called Audrey, who is from the United States, and um, 
she was just talking about what her experience of being an ambassador uh, representing the University of Auckland had been like. And she said that students want to talk to her because they have a dream of what it's like to study in New Zealand, but they are uncertain and unsure of what it's, what it's really like and whether that can become reality. And she sees it as her job to, as an ambassador, to help them confidently imagine that their lives you know, will be as good as they imagine at the university and help them to build confidence in that vision. And I just think that so perfectly encapsulates what you're trying to do. And that concept applies to, to anybody because it's a very human thing, right? So if I am a marketing or admissions leader that wants to empower my ambassadors or to create a robust peer-to-peer -peer organization on my campus, how can I do that and keep some control of it over it without giving the phone away or, you know, just making sure that I keep my arms around what's going on with even these conversations between my ambassadors and my prospective students. Yeah, and, and this is this is how we, we got talking, guys, wasn't it? Because I think a similar question was addressed to uh, to Rob Clark in that brilliant episode a, a month or so ago. We go back to those three core challenges that we see universities having when it comes to getting their students to represent them through modern marketing channels. So how do you maintain the safety of the users? How do you incentivize the ambassadors to do their work? And how do you control and, and monitor the quality uh, that comes through the platform? So when it comes to not handing over the keys there, that's exactly what, what I think you're getting at there, Troy. Um, so the way that we handle that is uh, we have a, an, an app for ambassadors. So from their personal phone, they can go around campus and they can reply to messages from prospective students. They can create content, photos, videos, uh, write sh short, short FAQs and blog content. Then all of that data and all those transactions, uh, interactions go into a, a, an admin dashboard where everything can be overseen and monitored. And then um, there's, an in, there's various integrations that you can then use to send content to different places. So one integration will be with your website. So you can you know, publish content that ambassadors are creating directly to your website. You can also publish to social media and uh, just generally maintain control and oversight both of what's happening, but also the, the performance of the ambassadors and um, you know, understanding if anything is a risk that you want to have a look at. That's great. I love the fact that you have those safety elements built in because I think that's one of the big concerns that a lot of uh, marketers and, and uh, you know, administrators at schools have is that, okay, well, we, we know how important it is for our you know, to, to have our students and, 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 you know, most people have a training aspect of their ambassadors to know, Hey, this is where you're going to go on the tour. These are the stops you're going to make. This is what we want you to say. This is how we want you to engage with, with, uh, families. And, but I think that the fact that you're also generating additional content and, and then having a way to review that content before it goes live. I mean, you know, I've, people have heard me say, you know, 110 episodes now, how important content is. I mean, especially now in the, in the world of, of artificial intelligence and the way that the search engine optimization is going to change with, with the new, you know, chat bots and things. We're going to really be looking at 
content being the fuel for everything going forward. And not only content, but then that desire for people to have real people to talk to. I mean, we're going to have an artificial world in the in a few months, and people are going to desire that ability to reach out and talk to a real human. And I think that this is, is, is a perfect example of that and building those types of controls and, and safety issues around that. And so I think that I think that's a really cool way that you guys are using that. But I guess the next question that I go to is, okay, that's great. I've got students doing this. I've got them, you know, their cell phones, their apps, they're out there generating content. What makes them want to do it again tomorrow? I mean, what, how are you incentivizing these students? Because I, I've got some Generation Z in, in my house, and, and I've, I've raised them. Sometimes, you know, to keep them incentivized, I've got to figure out creative ways to do that. So what's your solution on that? Yeah, it's a great question. Just to touch on something that you, you just said as well, I think the link between the content that your ambassadors are creating and the social platform that might have been published on and the, the chat conversation that could result from that is a really pivotal step that is often overlooked. So if you're working with ambassadors or current students to create content and you're publishing that on your social channels, let's say Instagram, how are you responding to the comments that come through on social? Because often social media is actually not so social. We did a, a study a, a while ago now and saw that 45% of comments from prospective students on Instagram posts were going unreplied to. And many of the replies were actually just uh, diverting the, app, the prospective student back to the university's website. So, you know, how, how can you make that link? And that's something that we really focus on. Um, in terms of incentivization for ambassadors, we also did a study on this, and it was quite surprising. You know, our hypothesis was that payment and career benefits was going to be the top two um, reasons that student ambassadors or students wanted to become ambassadors for their university. And actually, the, the number one reason was that they wanted to help. They wanted to help other prospective students that had been in their, you know, had been like them, and they wished that they had had the opportunity to talk to a real student. So they just want to help. The second, second reason is they wanted to represent. They wanted to feel part of the community and represent their university. And then, of course, third was career benefits. Fourth was remuneration. Um, so we've really incorporated that when it comes to the app that we've designed for ambassadors, but also the training and advice and guidance that we give our partners. So just a few examples of um, the, the app. So we've got a, a data-driven career reference, which is automatically created for every ambassador, which provides them something they can immediately download and use in their interviews or in their CV that talks about the skills that they're building and the work that they've done. And as you've referenced before in this podcast, being a content creator and influencer is one of the top, top um, career choices of Gen Z, right? So this is a phenomenal opportunity for them to build those skills. Uh, the second thing is it's all gamified and there's a leaderboard in the app that resets every month. So it's, it's kind of fun and engaging. There's also time reports and time limits for uh, understanding how your ambassador is spending their time and limiting the amount of time if you want to based on a week or a monthly basis. There's a real sense of community in the app so ambassadors can see the content that other ambassadors are creating and get inspired by that. And then there's feedback loops. So if you publish an uh, ambassador's content post, they get a notification, they get bonus points, they get a thank you message from you all automatically. But this feedback's really important. And if you're doing that manually, again, just, just really hard to do all of that if you're 
operating over a WhatsApp group or, or email or however many, many universities are already or are currently operating. George, thank you for everything you've shared today, but I have to ask you one more question. If there is a piece of advice around peer-to-peer -peer that you could offer our listeners that they could implement soon after hearing it, what would that be? Yeah, great question. So I think implementing new ideas is always difficult. And I think there's often when it comes to peer-to-peer, -to -peer, the more challenging part is the cultural change around how you want to work with students and bringing the team with you on that journey uh, alongside the process change. So the best piece of advice I have on the cultural side is just to recruit a couple of students, three students, and bring them into your campaign planning and your creativity uh, when it comes to what you want to put out there. It doesn't have to be your, your formal marketing meeting. Just create an additional one once a month and just share ideas with them. And I think that was a fantastic way of just getting people thinking and asking different questions and thinking ab about the student body in a different way. A lot of universities are already doing this, but I, I've shared this advice so many times at different universities. And the one that comes to mind was I was on a uh, student voice workshop, which is something we run. It's a three-hour workshop um, with new partners. Of, of all the content we covered in that three-hour session, the thing that they were most happy about and writing down was, wow, I, I never never thought to get student ambassadors involved in our, our planning. Um, so yeah, that's huge and it's so simple. Um, on the process side, my advice would be to start small. No need to boil the ocean. If there's a single team or a single faculty that's got good connections with students that are already trying a few things, if you enable them to start using a peer-to-peer -peer platform, you can then learn from them, you can see their results, and you can scale it up if you want to. Thank you, George. We've loved having you as a guest. And for those that are interested in learning more about peer-to-peer -peer programs, how could someone contact you? Well, thank you, Troy and Bart. It's been a real honor to be on the show. I've got an immeasurable amount of value uh, from it myself over the years. So well, I, over the six months or so, I've been an avid listener. So happy to happy to pay it back. And um, if somebody wants to reach out, my email is uh, george at theambassadorplatform.com. And if you want to follow our content, probably the best way to do that is to Give us a follow on uh, LinkedIn. So that's the ambassador platform on LinkedIn. Thank you. Bart, do you have any final thoughts before we close the episode? You know, less than 10% of, of schools are utilizing these peer-to-peer -peer platforms. I think this is a great opportunity. You're not too late to get involved in this. And I think that, you know, tools like we've talked about, the Ambassador Platform, Unibuddy, um, Zemi, all of these are great tools. And I would really encourage you to take a look at that because everybody that I've talked to, from George to Adam at Zemi to, you know, just the whole group, everyone always talks about how big a difference that's made. So, so make sure you take a look at those different platforms. Also keep in mind that especially if you are a school that serves a lot of first-gen students, a lot of students of minority, a lot of opportunities there with DEI, this is a really good opportunity for you to kind of take advantage of, of a tool that will help you with that, a tool that can help you recruit those students. And uh, I know that's a big concern on a lot of campuses. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of grants are being written around that as well to kind of see that access improve. And so I really like the fact that there's some data supporting that these types of tools also really help with that. And keep in mind, too, I really like 
like George's comment early on about that this is a tool. It's no different than your CRM. It's no different than your website. It's another tool that you can implement in your arsenal for your higher ed marketing. And so really take advantage of that. And then I also just really appreciated that last comment that he made about the cultural change. It really reminded me of some of the conversations that we've had on recent episodes. I'm thinking of Jared Toms from uh, the, the Walton School of Business at the University, University of Arkansas and how she really saw a huge difference in her marketing when she started asking current students to participate in that conversation about what it was that they would be interested in. I mean, we used to call it focus groups back in the day, but it, it's just simply pulling in the end users and thinking what do they think it needs to be. And I think that George's comment about really leveraging your student ambassadors in a way to help build your marketing you know, we saw the same thing from Owen Knight at Tulane, how they're actually utilizing their students to help create content on social media, whether it's TikTok or Reels or Shorts, all kinds of really good things. And so don't miss the fact that you've got a tremendous opportunity, even with your current students. And I love the fact that George left us with that. So, George, thanks so much for being a part of the show. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and, uh, and really excited to hear your expertise in this. So thank you. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Our podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, accurately serving ads directly into the devices of prospective students and their parents of your most valued mailing list. Consider it direct mail for digital. We also want to thank Rob Conlon of Westport Studios, our producer. On behalf of Bart, George, and myself, thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.